This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis. And again, I want to say thank you for uh, chirping in with me every week. Uh, you know, I am always just so amazed at how many people are um, reaching out to me via email or text or uh, through LinkedIn or, or Facebook, you know, asking follow-up questions on things. And uh, I really just encourage you to do that. It's really important that, um, that you get all of your questions answered. And, you know, again, thank you for sharing with all of your, your friends um, and your other colleagues. It's really getting out there. So, you know, again, it's, it's all for us to help each other um, in this industry. So today I have a very special guest with me. Um, his name is Jerome Maine, and um, he too was in the mortgage lending um, space. He now is a uh, national speaker and uh, speaks on a very important topic that I felt that we needed to have on our podcast because most of the time we're talking about, you know, how to how to get more business and create relationships in our systems. But this is an extremely important topic that, that I feel needs to be addressed, and that is about mortgage fraud and predatory lending. And um, so with that, I would love to welcome you, Jerome, to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Hey Jen, no, thank you very much. Um, what a yeah. what a pleasure! I, I appreciate you inviting me to be to be part of your show. Thank you, thank you. So, I would like for you to talk about your past. Um, this is going to be very enlightening for people. So, uh, if you're listening, uh, turn everything off, stop multitasking, and listen in on Jerome's story uh, before we get into the meat of our discussion today. So, tell us about you, Jerome. All right. Well, I've, uh, I've been in and out of the business since probably about 1992. So I'm one of those old timers. I remember what it was like way back and uh, in the middle and then in the end and all that. I started out my career in mortgage lending back in, I believe it was 1992, with Countrywide Funding in Pasadena, California. And uh, it was a great experience. My, my background before that was was as a paralegal, so I had some business experience, but man, being a loan officer was, was really great. I, I was so excited to actually be able to get out and about as a salesperson and, and make relationships and, and, and uh, network, and it was, it was what I really needed as opposed to sitting behind a desk as a paralegal. So yeah, I, know I was excited. Yeah, I know. So the, the cool part was uh, well, I should say the scary part was that it was going to be full commission. And so yeah. <clears throat> that was a little nervous, uh, made me a little nervous, but I did okay. Uh, I wound up uh, moving back to Minnesota, where I'm from, and I took a job with a company uh, called Norwest Mortgage. They uh, converted to Wells Fargo, and I believe it was 98. Yeah. And, and it was it was really cool. I, I was a new loan officer. I, I just ate it up. I, I read the Fannie Mae guidelines, you know, back when we had books, you know, so we actually right. had to turn yep. pages and everything. <laughs> yeah. And so I was just a, a real student of that. My goal was to become a really good loan officer so I could use my creativity based on having the knowledge background of the guidelines. And so within a couple of years, 
Uh, I was doing really well, making really good money. If, for me, I think it was, you know, maybe seven, $8,000 a month. And for me and my new family in 1993, 94, <clears throat> that was more money than I'd ever seen. And I became a good loan officer so that I would get, you know, really the tough deals like the first time home buyer stuff. And then I would also right. get the jumbo. So realtors would come to know me as the guy who could just get it, get stuff closed and do it the right way. Right. In, in about 1994, <clears throat> business was going real well. And one day I got a, a call from a gentleman who referred to himself as a, a real estate investor. And he was. And I, I talked to him and, and, and his whole purpose in calling me was because he'd heard I was a really good loan officer. I could really get things done. And he and needed we've heard somebody that before, to help. You know. Yeah, yeah. A lot of they, us hear they, that. You know, it's like, oh, I hear you can do miracles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which always well, scares me. Yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, you look at it as, oh, heck yeah, you betcha. I'm the best one in the city, you know. <laughs> well, and you got to have that attitude or you probably won't do well in the business. So. This guy needed, uh, this guy was buying low and selling high investment properties. And so when he would buy low, uh, when he would need to sell, he needed a loan officer, a good one, to help get his buyers approved so they could buy it for the higher price. Basically, he was flipping properties, which is right. perfectly fine. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, not only did I think uh, I, I would love to have his business, but I also was real impressed with the guy. I mean, he was a, a big-time real estate investor, in, in my mind at that time, was super cool, and he was making a lot of money. The thing that we did, however, was we, he, was buying, he was buying his properties in, in uh, depressed neighborhoods. For back in Minneapolis at the time, it was like twenty-five, dollars $35,000 for a decent little house in a depressed neighborhood. And the, and the market was that you could actually sell them for forty-five, fifty, dollars and it wasn't really a anything huge uh, stretch in that area. After about a month of, of getting to know each other, um, I, he referred his first deal to me. And it was a guy by the name of Josh. And I'm sure the loan officers out there, as well as realtors, that there have been plenty of times where you've sat down across from a customer when you're starting to get their information. And and you get this weird feeling in your stomach and you, you don't really know what it is. And, and for me, when I sat down with Josh, red flags should have gone up a lot higher than they did because we were sitting at the conference table in our little conference room. And I was uh, back when we had to handwrite the applications. And so yeah. I was, <laughs> I was asking him the questions on the 1003 and just getting down to the employment part. And, um, it should have shocked me a little bit more because Josh didn't know exactly where he worked, which is generally kind of weird. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. weird all by itself. I don't really know where I work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it wasn't that he just looked at me and shrugged his shoulders. He didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And I, Straw buyer. you know, we've, we've all sat with customers in, in, you know, with loan applications and information where they didn't know every single thing, maybe, Maybe they didn't know their employer's zip code or, you know, something like that. And, and as loan officers, we know that when customers don't have certain information, we keep a little list on the side and we write down info that they need to get for us. 
Right. Now, I didn't write down on there, um, find out where you work. <laughs> I didn't. I, I don't right. know that day. Maybe I was just on autopilot. We moved on. I just said, okay, and um, how long you been there? Which was another really stupid question. And I got, it seemed like I got dumber as I went along. Because we got to the income section, and I said, okay, and how much do you make? And I looked up at him. And he just gave me that blank look, shrugged his shoulders, and then he said, nine. I said, nine? He said, nine. And I, I was definitely feeling weird at this point. I just wanted to get this application done. I assumed this was going to be one of those applications, customers I sat with. The file sits on the corner of your desk, and then it gets canceled out at the end of the month. Well, he said, nine. I needed to fill out the rest of the loan app. So I took out my old HP 12C calculator and I, I put in there 9 times 40 times 52 divided by 12 because I needed his monthly income. I wrote it down. I, he signed the loan app and the disclosures and I said, okay, we'll see you later. Well, as soon as he left, I called my real estate investor guy. By the way, his name was Milt. Um, and, and I said, hey, what kind of people are you sending me? Josh doesn't know where he works. Now, Milt's pretty smooth, so the first thing he says is, oh, yeah, yeah, so, so Josh, he's been working with his uncle for the last three years, and his uncle just incorporated, so, you know, ah, and he paused. Mm -hmm. And so right mm -hmm. there, I'm thinking, no, no, Milt, I don't know. And I said, here's the deal. If you want me to work with your buyers, they need to know where they work, dude. And so I told him, I said, look, you claim to have all these buyers that you work with. Why don't you send me one that makes... I don't know, around thirteen seventy-five an hour because that's what they're going to need to make to qualify. So wouldn't you know it, the next day, one of his associates <laughs> comes into my office, of course, hands me a manila envelope, and in the envelope was pay stubs and W-2s for Josh, and wouldn't you know, Josh makes thirteen seventy-five an hour. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so, of course, that's where my heart sank, my stomach went in knots, and and Jen, this is probably the most important part right here of our conversation today. This was the moment that I had this. I look back. This was the moment that changed my life because I got these documents. I looked at them and I didn't follow my instinct immediately. And that's, that's the thing that if I can impart any knowledge or any tips upon anybody who's in the business, it is to react to your instinct immediately. Because what happens when you don't? Well, first of all, an instinct is something that happens automatically or is supposed to. When you right. don't follow your instinct, you're actually, you actually have to sidestep that and, and consciously do something different. And typically what, what happens in that situation is it, is it shows itself in terms of justification. And that's yeah, you what have I to did. justify your decision. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In order to in order to lie to yourself, you have to. So I thought, right. well, they look real, and I thought, well, it's not like this guy handed me the documents and said, hey, Jerome, here are the fake ones. We're going to commit some fraud today. And I thought, you know, it's it's also it's not like um, it's not like I did anything wrong. You know, if these are fake, I don't know, underwriting will catch them or something. And the final piece of my justification was, I don't want to accuse my new referral source, my new friend, this cool guy. I don't want to. Oh yeah, you don't want to lose the deal. Fun. 
Yeah. No, and and yeah. and I like mm-hmm. the guy, Jen. He was he was very likable, and that's important. Uh, mm-hmm. I it, it's like when you get into a relationship with a referral source, and and you become really good friends, which is important to do. Sometimes you you don't see the things, and you don't want to see the things that should be questioned. Right. The blind spot. So yeah, yeah. Well, I took the documents, I turned them into my processor, and wouldn't you know, a few weeks later, the loan closed because hey. They look real. All of the justifications I was telling you. Right. So the way the way this guy was closing loans, and I'll I'll go fast because your your people are going to get this. He would buy them at a low price, get a uh, a purchase agreement, and the seller would agree to sell the house for cash for let's say thirty thousand in thirty days. Now before thirty days got up, came up, actually about a week after he would close or lock into that purchase agreement, he would find a buyer to buy it mm-hmm. from him. He would send the buyer to me, the buyer would get approved, and then everybody goes to closing on the same day. So the Correct. loan's approved, the money is wired. Yep. To- closing actually works backwards where the sale to my borrower would happen first. So there you go, there you got the, the upper price, the, 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 the actual sale price, which right. we'll call 60000 and that's what the loan is. And then now my my investor, this milk guy, he then now has his thirty thousand to give to the original seller. Correct. Now mm-hmm. that I that you'd never do that today. It would never work. Title companies, closers would never do that. At the time, flipping wasn't such was a, a four letter word. Yeah. Right. And so it was norm. Yeah. 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 And and maybe a little tweaky, but not not uh something that would you would say Absolutely not. And the closer that I used, I've been using her for, well, a good year or so, definitely before I met this milk guy. So she certainly wasn't in milk's pocket. So she explained to me what happened or how it worked. And she said, you know, these documents are not time stamped. They're dated. And she goes, I've been doing this for a long time, Jerome, and believe me, nobody's walking out of this office until every document is signed and all the checks are in the right hands. And I thought, wow, that is actually, I was so impressed. I thought that was super, super cool. So now I liked my, my milk, my investor even more. Well, about a week after that closing, I was out to a, to a bar with a couple of friends of mine. We were going to be going to a Twins game at the Metrodome there in Minneapolis. And I remember I, was, I would talk to Milt all the time on the phone, and we would just talk about, you know, what we were up to that day. And I mentioned that I was going to be at this, at this bar in downtown Minneapolis, and then my buddies and I were going to the game. Well, wouldn't you know, I'm sitting there, and one of Milt's associates walked in, and it was that same guy who had the manila envelope, um, you know, a few weeks mm-hmm. earlier. So I recognized him. We sat, he sat down with me and my friends, which was a little weird because I didn't really know the guy, but it was okay. And he sat there for a couple minutes, 20 minutes, and he gets up and he slides $100 to the center of the table. And he says, hey, Jerome, good job on that loan. And he leaves. Mm. So mm-hmm. I look at that and I'm starting to think, is this a payoff? Uh, I mean, he didn't say anything. Uh, I, was just, I was just feeling kind of weird. I'm thinking mob. I'm thinking mob. <laughs> well, and you, and you can think that now. Honestly, I can mm-hmm. think that now, too. But at the time, and this is another super, super important point, things don't look the same when you look back as they do when you're in the middle of them, which is right. why. That's why 
Hindsight's twenty twenty, right. Yeah, and quick decision-making on the spot is, is super, super crucial for people to do in following their instincts. Well, I didn't really think anything of it. I tried not to think anything of it. And, and so the Josh deal was done. Now, over the course of about six months, I, w- I probably closed about six deals with Milk. And I usually only talk about the three of them that were the most egregious, where my behavior in them was the worst. And so I'm going to just talk about two more. And one of them, of course, the first one was Josh. So my actions, what I did in that were considered some of the worst behavior that I was um, doing with these guys over the six months. Now, I'll tell you right away, there aren't many loan officers out there who would think that that's egregious. So we'll continue. (laughs) The second person I worked, yeah, the second person he, he sent, to me was a woman by the name of Nicole. Nicole was a nurse. Uh, I know she was a nurse because uh, I went to where she worked to get some documents and well, there she was, dressed like a nurse. So of course I bought it. Uh, her, she had good credit, everything worked. Her loan got approved on a Wednesday. She was set to close the following Monday. Well, Nicole called me one day after her loan was approved. She was super excited, not because her loan was approved, but because she was so excited to tell me about this brand new job that she just got. <laughs> well, that's bad, right? We all know that. Right. You can't yep. change jobs. Mm-hmm. So right. I called Milt right away and I said, hey, we're not going to close on Monday because we got to re-verify the employment. We got to do all that stuff. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, the loan's already approved. I said, I know, but the guidelines say I got to, you know, do all this. Yeah. And he said, Whose side are you on? Oh, my okay. gosh. Yeah. And I yeah. said, well, Milt, I work for the bank. And he said, well, there's a lot of loan officers I work with who knows that a nurse is a nurse. And because her new job was a nurse. And so I probably could have gotten an exception or I could have walked some stuff through. But uh, I said, okay, well, um, I'll talk to you later. Well, needless to say, the loan closed on that Monday. And all I had to show for it was a little note in my to-do list for that day to check with the underwriter about Nicole's job change. And I didn't realize I had written that down until four years later when I had to go through all of my documents, all my notes after I was indicted. And that I knew I hadn't done that. I knew I hadn't double-checked because I didn't check it off. And so that was, that so, was one of the big clues. Yeah. After, so, so after, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so you just said indicted. So this is now, you know, what, why I wanted to have you on this podcast. Um, because up until this point, you're telling a story about uh, fraud, predatory lending, straw buyers, people strong-arming yep. you, sliding, you know, sliding documents. And what I really want my listeners to know is what exactly happened to you and All why right, that yep. this is so important. Sure. Well, a lot of times we think that, uh, think that it's not our job. I mean, how many times have we been at a closing where somebody says something, maybe a seller says to a buyer, oh, hey, I'll just, uh, should I write you that check in the parking lot or should I write that check here? Well, we all know there's absolutely zero reason the seller would ever write the buyer a check for anything at a closing unless there's something weird going on. Well, that's where everybody else just kind of, 
puts their hands over their ears and doesn't say anything. But here's the problem. You already know. Now everybody knows. And so what, what unfortunately happens is people will look at that and say, well, I'm not the closer or, well, I'm not the realtor. I'm not doing anything wrong. But you know. And it's amazing how that comes back and bites you later. So to finish up my little employment there with, with Norwest, Closed the deal with Nicole, and about a week later, a box showed up on my front step, and, and it was a was five hundred dollars cash, and a bottle of Sapphire gin, and I called Milt right away, and I said, "Hey, what are you doing?" He said, "Oh, I didn't send it," and I knew he had because I knew Milt. He we knew each other pretty well. He knew everything I liked. He knew I liked Sapphire gin, and and money. So I just looked the other way and decided I don't want to work with him anymore. There was one more deal we had to close up, but the problem was I got involved because I wanted to buy and sell a house, and I thought it's perfectly legal. Milt supplied the buyer. I had the house. When it was done, we split the profit. And there's a lot more to that story, but the bottom line is I walked away with 10000 bucks, and I looked at it as, hey, that's my money. I didn't do anything illegal here because Milt provided the buyer. I know that the documents were fake, but he... In my mind, I said, well, he didn't tell me they were fake. So I quit my job. I, uh, over the next four years, I kind of climbed the entrepreneurial ladder. I started my own real estate investment company. I started my own mortgage broker company. In the middle of 1998, I had about 10 employees, and I was happy. I was making good money. Everybody was doing things on the up and up. Then one day in the middle of December of 1998, again, life was going well. Uh, I got a phone call, and the guy on the other end said, hi, my name is Bob Canada. I'm with the FBI, and I'm going to be taking you into custody today. And I wow, I, I was shocked. I didn't believe it. I thought it was a joke. Well, uh, within the next two hours, I was, uh, I was arrested, handcuffed, put in the back of an a unmarked uh, FBI <laughs> car, went to the uh, FBI headquarters and the U.S. Marshals, where they told me what this was actually about, because I didn't know. And they said, yes, remember your buddy Milt? And then I knew. And then I immediately thought, oh, well, this is no big deal, because it was never my crime. I knew Milt was slippery, but I knew I wasn't involved. And so I was was led into the courtroom and asked me, you know, how do I plead to the fraud charges brought against me by the United States of America? And I felt like a tiny, tiny little you know, ant. I was so intimidated, so scared. And I guess I thought at that point, I, maybe I'm not going to get out of this. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I did do something. I couldn't truly admit that. I wound up getting a defense attorney and it cost me a ton of money. And it made me mad because I figured I have to get an attorney to prove that I wasn't involved. Kind of That was my mm-hmm. mindset at the time. Well, mm-hmm. there were five Denial. people indicted altogether and I only met about three of them. But I was, I was one of them. Everybody else cut deals. The bottom, at the very end, it was just me and this milk guy. And I was, for sure, I wasn't going to plead guilty because, you know, I kept holding out in my mind that this wasn't my crime. Well, eventually, when the, when the feds provided documentation where I got my $10,000 from buying and selling a house where milk was involved, when you look at the law, and there's, like I said, more to that, but the bottom line there is I did it. You know, and, and you could say technically I did it. And I, I was so mad. I, I was so mad because I, 
I knew I would lose. I wound up pleading guilty. And one of the hardest things to do was to say goodbye to my kids because they didn't do anything wrong. My mom didn't do anything wrong, but she had to go through the shame and embarrassment. And so I, I finally, me, I, I looked at it like me. I'm a father of two young boys. I've got these very, very solid two companies, you know, mortgage broker and real estate. And I'm upstanding guy in the community. And, and I'm very, very ethical in my head. And I was going to prison and it was really, really weird for me to realize that. So, yeah. so basically what happened, Jen, is I, I was born an ethical person, just like everybody else who's listening. And I started out in the business just like everybody else did. I worked in a cubicle as a loan officer, just like everybody else did. I had a family. I had some kids. I was doing business just fine. I was making just plenty of money without this milk guy. In fact, his loans were a lot harder. You know, the lower income type of special loans are tougher and commission is very low. And so I wasn't looking for more money, but the bottom line is I, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong at the time. Once I learned the law, I found out that it doesn't matter how little you think you're involved. You're involved if you're cutting corners. And you may not be the kingpin. You may not have the original plan, but you're involved. And there's really no way around it when you get investigated. And let's face it, you all know this, hopefully, that even if you're not indicted, an investigation is going to kill your business. Nobody's going to want to do business with somebody who got investigated, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, and I think about this, you know, I, there was a um, recent, well, not recently, but in the last couple of years or so, you know, right after the, the bubble and part of this, this is sort of leading up to that because I remember those days I've been in since 1983. And, um, you know, there was a, and I still think he kind of roams around, but he talks about fraud. He kind of he does what you're doing is he's, you know, helping professionals like us stay out of prison, right? Uh-huh. And um, because, you know, we're just, we're so heavily uh, monitored and with all the regulations, et cetera. And, um, you know, he was even telling me, and I, and I began this practice years ago, and actually I think it was even before the, the credit crisis, but um, there was a time when, you know, the fax machines were just coming out and not every client had a fax machine at their home or at their work. And so clients would drop off documents to the realtor and then the realtor would give them to us or fax them from their office. Right. And this, in this FBI agent said, you know, you don't even want to do that because um, even for, and this was for the specifically for the real estate agent, because if the client uh, was providing erroneous information and you were the facilitator to get it to the lender, um, even if the lender didn't know about it, et cetera, you, the, the realtor would now be involved because they provided the documents and, um, kind of like your delivery guy, you know, that you had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so so the ultimate, you know, the bottom line is that you landed in federal prison in white-collar fraud, right? You were there for, yeah. what, a year and a half, a year and a half, 20 months, 16 months, I can't remember what it was. Um, and now you've taken that and said, okay, how do I how do I get this back out into the world and let people know, you know, that it can happen to you? And, and I don't want to scare anybody and say, oh, don't listen to the podcast anymore. It's not about that. But, but when we talk, you mentioned a few things. You talked about creativity. You know, we talk about being creative and alone. Um, these days, when you're talking to p- 
people about this, and specifically lenders. And by the way, everybody, um, Jerome has a book called The Diary of a White Collar Criminal, um, something that, you know, you might want to take a look at and maybe talk with your colleagues with and with your team. You know, each chapter kind of goes through and figure out, you know, make sure that everybody's doing the right thing. But what are the things that we need to be looking for today? Because we've progressed, you know, back then, um, yeah, there was a lot of paper. Now it's digital. We have, you know, stop gaps, of course, with CFPB. We have a multitude of um, entities looking over us to make sure that there's uh, not fraud. Although I have to tell you, you know, the, the FBI agent that we had talked with before said, even when you think it's all ironclad, people find ways. You know, if a criminal is a criminal. But what are what should we be looking for these? Oh, and I was going to say the other thing is the no income verifications are gone. You know, you can't yeah. just quote. Um, so all of those are gone, and yet everybody at the same time is saying, you know, it's just too tight. We can't get loans done. Um, you know, I'm in, I'm of the opinion that, uh, you know, there are a certain segment of the market that shouldn't get a loan. Not everybody should get a loan. You know, there's there's no. it's a privilege. You know, not a right. And so I'm okay with that. Um, but what should we be looking for? What are you telling the people that, you know, and you're speaking nationally and you're talking to a lot of organizations, um, what are some things that you're hearing from others that we should be looking for today in 2017 to avoid ourselves getting trapped into or, you know, unconscious, consciously or unconsciously, I hope it's unconscious, but yeah. unconsciously getting trapped into being involved in a um, a fraudulent situation or a situation where, you know, it's going to be perceived as being predatory lending? Well, there's a statistic that 80% of all fraud losses involve collaboration or collusion of industry insiders. So we can mm. talk about these criminals out there who are trying to perpetrate mm -hmm. fraud against us. But the real important part is that no matter what, when you have a feeling about something, you have to act upon it. And there's always somebody to talk to, whether it's the, the, your colleague, your peer in the cube next to you, or, or your boss, or anybody else. If you need to talk to somebody, just talk to them, and they'll just another set of eyes. The, the biggest problem today is the decision-making, and people who are afraid to make a decision because they don't want to upset somebody else, or the, because maybe they need more business. So we're, we can have a whole other segment on right. what criminals are doing to try to perpetrate fraud against you, but it's really yeah. about what you do and the decisions you make have to be consistent and solid every time. Because once yeah. you give somebody the opportunity to question your integrity, you're going, you're going down the wrong path and there you have zero control over what happens to you. And that's one of the biggest things is not giving anybody the opportunity to question your integrity, not even once. So to be able to stay yeah. out of those situations, Jen, that's probably the biggest thing. And it doesn't matter. You could be you could be a regular guy just like me, and you could have just been a loan officer. And all of a sudden you realize, well, the decisions I'm making are not as solid as they could have been even one mm -hmm. time. People think, oh, this mm -hmm. one time, or, oh, I've seen other people do this. It doesn't matter. It's about you. It's about right. your future. It's about your family. It's not worth it to to try to figure out how to get rides uh, for your kids to come and visit you in prison. It's a lot easier to lose a piece of business, believe me. Yeah, amazing, huh? Because some people are just so angst about getting business that they'll do anything to do it. You know, and I, I, I mean, I can tell you, you know, the people around me, there, there's a 
there's a gentleman in my area for years and years and years. I call him the hyena because he always seems to be, you know, that reaching for him and he's got his tail tucked under. He always seems to be just that far out of reach of getting in trouble. The stuff that he used to do back in the early nineties. And I, I mean, there's a plethora of them and I would always disassociate myself with them because it's not, you know, none of that is worth it for me. And, and ironically, and I want to mention this too, you know, for those of you that are listening, there is a certification that you can get in mortgage lending called a CME. It's certified in mortgage ethics. And um, I obtained mine through uh, the National Association of um, Professional Mortgage Women, NAPMW. And I know it sounds silly to say that, wait, aren't you supposed to be ethical? Why do you have to be certified to be ethical? Yeah. But, but I loved the class because it took me through the two, the two similar scenarios that you just discussed is, you know, so this guy comes in and he does this, you know, what would you do? And so the testing for the certification is just like that. They try to find ways to trip you up to see, you know, if you really are ethical and if you really pick up on um, the, the little angst that are going on, you know, around you and the little stories. So, um, and I'm proud of my CME because I know that that means that I have a higher, a heightened alert uh, at recognizing people that, that just aren't going down the right path. And one of the examples I want to give you is I just met with um, someone the other day, a referral partner, I'll keep it unnamed, but I met with a referral partner the other day um, who is an insurance agent and, uh, you know, go-getter, that kind of thing, and said, you know, and I also want to let you know, Jen, one of the things that uh, that I do, you know, to help your customers that you send to me is that, you know, um, most of the time the, the customer wants a certain coverage on their house and, and I know lenders want more. So I'll write the policy for the higher amount and, um, and then we'll go ahead and close, but just know that I'm going to be saving them money because the day after closing, I'll call them and we will rewrite the policy for the lower amount. And uh, so I was like, uh, yeah, that doesn't, that, that doesn't sit well with me. That's not acceptable. That's not a practice I would, I would allow. And he said, well, then I don't have to do it for your clients. And I just let the conversation go. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, it's, it's been great meeting you. And, you know, I wish you really a, a lot of luck and, you know, hopefully our paths will cross one day. And I just kind of left it as, you know, I'm not following up. I'm not saying I'm going to refer to you, nothing. And literally I walked away um, from my office, walked into my assistant's office, and I said, that person, delete them out of our database right now. I'm done. We'll never, ever work with somebody like that. But it's those little things that you, um, it, we got to keep our antennas up. You know, it's those little things. And now I'm saying, you know, do I turn this guy in? Do I not turn this guy in? What do I do? Because um, I've not done any business with him, but I sure will tell the person who referred me that he does that. And I don't think that person even knows because they're in a networking group together, you know. And he even made comment, I don't get any business from my networking group. And I'm thinking, do you tell everybody what you just told me? Because that's probably why you don't get business, right? You know, Jen, I've been out of the business for quite a while as far as that goes. I, I will tell you this. I don't think it's, it's super, super transparent and obvious what that guy was doing. Not to, not to everybody. But you yeah. caught it because you're yeah. experienced and you have gone through tests and scenarios and stuff like that. And you, you've been around long enough. But, the, but that's not transparent to everybody. So another piece of this is become knowledgeable about the other players in a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, good point. Yeah, and that's where you were saying about the collaboration. It just starts with one who, you know, the bar, the borrower thinks, hey, well, he's saving me money, and, you know, she she referred him, so she must know that's what he does. Well, no, I'm never going to refer him, ever. And, and um, in so an yeah, investigation, that's a very good point. when there's an investigation, everybody is going to be looked at. And if you're somebody who works with that guy pretty often, you're going to be investigated. That's just how it works. And you may not have done anything, uh, but, but you certainly had a feeling, and, and Jen, like you, you got out. You, got, you were done with them because now there is no history you have with that guy, and you didn't, didn't let it happen on the, on the transaction that you were involved in. So, so yeah, education yeah, no, is super no important, too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think, you know, it, just to kind of bring all this together as we wind down here is um, what you're saying is, you know, just let, you, let your gut guide you, you know, let your gut be the, be the driver for you. Um, don't justify the decisions, you know, based on getting that one final realtor who you've always wanted to get. Um, it's not worth it, you know, and, and I always say that the four-letter word in our industry is next. Oh, wow, and yeah. Just, right. Just next, there'll be plenty of people out there that are that are in line with your ethics and you know be willing to do it. And one day that will hit them, and and maybe it won't. I mean, my hyena guy, I know it never hit him, but he's out of the business now. So thank God I don't have to deal with it. But um, yeah, and it's frustrating because when you hear these kinds of things, you know, you see sometimes you see very successful loan officers. I mean, and, and I know a few like this that are very very successful, but they are purposely doing things uh, that aren't that aren't above board, in my opinion, you know, above board, in my opinion, all the way down to, you know, making comments of, um, I don't give people the best interest rate because I want to refinance them again. So I purposely don't give them the best interest rate. And when I heard that, I said, oh, well, it'll never have anything to do with you. And I, um, I, I just think that none of that is important. If you want to have any staying power like I have after 34 years, there are times, especially when the Credit, before the credit crunch, when everybody was doing subprimes, my husband and I looked at each other and said, gosh, I wish we were doing some more subprime loans because we would make money because everybody seemed to be doing that. And we weren't. But when it was hindsight, we were like, thank God we did it because look at all these people and what they think of the, their loan officer, whether it was their fault or not, you know, nobody's arms were, sw- were twisted to, you know, get a, a no-income loan or an option loan or anything but I didn't want my reputation to be tainted from doing that kind of business from the very beginning. Um, and thankfully, someone was watching over us. We always say that. <laughs> someone was watching over us that we decided not to go into subprime or, you know, or alt business at all. And um, so I think if you're listening in on this, you know, it's a tough conversation. I get it. But I, I don't think nothing's as tough as what could possibly happen if you don't do the right thing. That's right. Guilt so by what would association you like to, is very real. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you like to leave us with? What um I know that you're speaking all over the place. I you know, and I know that by the way, for those that are listening in, this is not all ooh, it's nasty. Uh, you're a quite funny speaker and so you, you put it you shed a light on this and make it entertaining and very humorous and um and we you know, and I, I certainly appreciate that. So if we ha if someone's listening and they're saying, you know, gosh, this is a really hard topic, but we need to we need to make sure everybody's aware of this, what how can we reach you? How can they reach you and, and um uh, you know, get in touch with you on what you're you're sharing with the world. Um, my website is uh, JeromeMain.com. That's uh, Jerome and then Main M A Y N E. 
And mm -hmm. also, you just Google my name and I'll come up. Uh, what I what I really liked, Jen, and you said, what what would I what would I want people to know is that I think education is super important. Not just because I make my living educating people. It, it it's not that. I mean, of course it is some, but it really gives me a warm fuzzy <laughs> when I see people's eyes light up and they're and they say, "Wow!" But for the grace of God, there go I. And, and right. I, I just, I love that. I love getting emails later saying, wow, hey, I met a guy named Milt and I didn't do business with him. Thank you. You know, <laughs> that kind of I thing. Because I was afraid, right? Poor Milt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody who's yeah. yeah. So, so, um, that, so they can get a hold of me that way. My book is on Amazon. Uh, okay. I, I just uh, really, like I said, I, I really, really like it, getting in front of people. And I, like you were saying, I, I do bring some, some comic relief. I, I actually, after I got out of prison, I toured as a stand-up comic for a while in the Midwest. So I found a way that, man, you can really get beat up being a stand-up comic up on stage. So, so bringing that kind of humor into uh, a very, very serious topic tends to help people digest. And I'm talking about the average person. You know, we're not right. There aren't a lot of Bernie Madoffs in this business. So it's, we're right. talking, I'm talking to the average guy, you know, the me, the, the people who are listening. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the best thing. Listen to your, follow your instinct. I think that's the biggest thing. Meet, try to meet the people you do business with to get, you know, a lot of this is online. Try to meet them if possible so you can look at them. Mm -hmm. You're going to get your feeling there. Anyway, that's, that's, yeah. uh, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> That's cool. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Jerome, for joining us today and, you know, bringing in, shining a light on something that, you know, we, it's uh, something people don't talk about, but it's really important. So I appreciate you sharing uh, with us. And um, again, everybody, share the podcast with your friends. And if you, ha if you know somebody who's a little, mm -mm, tell them, share this podcast. Help them understand it. Just be a light and say, hey, I just listened to this podcast. You know, the most recent episode was here. So start there and then work your way, you know, and maybe that's the way you're going to share it with them. But um, I really do appreciate your time, Jerome. It's been a pleasure um, getting to know you and hearing your story. And um, I'll catch everybody the next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.